Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Martyrs and Missionaries. I'm Elise, and every week I'll bring you a new martyr and or missionary, the called and the brave. In this episode, we're going to talk about American missionary David Brainerd. After David Brainerd died, Jonathan Edwards took his diary with his permission and published it, and it became the first American book to reach Europe and was the best-selling religious book of the 19th century. Horatio Spinar, a well-known hymn writer and pastor of his day, said of Brainerd, If his life is used to quicken our consciences and urge us forward in the same path of high attainment, we will find it an unspeakable blessing. The example of Brainerd's life of marvelous nearness to God, which he lived during his brief day on earth, continues to inspire Christians. His life was not a great life as men use the word, but it was a life of one plan, expending itself in the fulfillment of one great aim and in the doing of one great deed, serving God. Now you would imagine that to have such an impactful life, he would have had a long ministry or at the very least a long life. But he had neither one of these things actually. He died at the age of 29 after only four years of ministry. And you can see throughout his short life the hand of God directing him from one course to another. He never actually wanted to be a missionary, and it was only when he hit a brick wall that he finally acquiesced. When David Brainerd was born in 1718, John Wesley and Jonathan Edwards were turning 14, Benjamin Franklin was 12, and George Whitfield was 3. He was born to staunchly Puritan parents, and he was the sixth of nine children. His father passed away when he was nine, and his mother passed away when he was 14. Four out of the nine children, including himself, died early. They had a family history of early death. And even though he grew up in a godly Christian home and had committed himself to God for ministry two years before, it wasn't until he began to read through his Bible twice in one year at the age of 21 that he realized his legalism did not represent true repentance and conversion. He said, All my good frames were but self-righteousness, not bottomed on a desire for the glory of God. There was no more goodness in my praying than there would have been paddling with my hands in the water, because my prayers were not performed from any love or regard to God. I never once prayed for the glory of God. I never once intended for his honor and glory, 
I had never once acted for God in all my devotions. I used to charge them with sin because of the wonderings and vain thoughts, and not because I never had any regard in them to the glory of God. After he truly repented and surrendered to God, a couple months later he heads off to Yale with the hopes of becoming a minister. In the first year he gets the measles and has to go home for several weeks to recover. Then the following year he's coughing up blood from tuberculosis and gets sent home again to recover. Now you would imagine that tuberculosis would be kind of easy to catch, considering historically it's one of the leading causes of death as you look back through time, or at least it seems like it's the leading cause of death. But it's actually kind of hard to get. And even if you're directly exposed to it, the chances of you catching it are not particularly high. But one thing that makes it easier is when you're immunocompromised. And he had just recovered from the measles. And so my thought is, and obviously there's no way of proving this, but my thought is there was a combination of the measles plus his own frailty and his family history that caused him to be more susceptible to contracting tuberculosis. And when he returns to Yale, the new light fervor had overtaken the campus. And the new light movement was just the Great Awakening movement. And so you had people like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and John Wesley all at the campus and creating this emotional excitement, this revival among the students. And so he joins the New Light movement. And some of the students had begun calling the faculty unconverted because they weren't New Light fans. They were what was called the Old Light. So they liked things the way that they had been and weren't big fans of this new emotionalism that they felt was going on. So the faculty then demanded that any student caught saying anything against their Christian character would first be forced to make a public apology. And then for the second offense, they would be expelled. And in 1742, Brainerd was in his third year at Yale, and he was top of his class, which is pretty impressive for a guy who got sent home sick with the measles and suffered from tuberculosis. He was overheard saying that a certain professor has no more grace than a chair, and he wondered why the rector did not drop down dead for finding students for their evangelical zeal. And he was immediately expelled because he refused to apologize. And a law had recently been passed that said in order to become a minister in America, you had to graduate from Harvard, Yale, or a European university. And so the expulsion completely ruined his hopes of being a minister. And Jonathan Edwards, among many other influential people sympathetic to the New Light movement, tried to get him reinstated, but it didn't work. This is a little bit of an interesting side note, but two of Princeton's founders were so upset that Yale wouldn't readmit Brainerd that they got fed up and started Princeton University. So the only reason it was ever founded was due in direct response to Brainerd's expulsion from Yale, which is pretty cool. In the background here, you can kind of see that even though his dreams are dashed. He'll never be a minister in the typical conventional sense. He writes this in his diary. I care not where I go or how I live or what I endure so that I may save souls. When I sleep, I dream of them. When I awake, they are first in my thoughts. No amount of scholastic attainment, of able and profound exposition, of brilliant and stirring eloquence can atone for the absence of a deep, impassioned, sympathetic love for the human soul. And Brainerd didn't only struggle with tuberculosis, which would have been bad enough, but he also struggled with constant, unrelenting depression, which seems to be somewhat hereditary. In 1865, a descendant wrote, In the whole Brainerd family for 200 years, there has been a tendency to morbid depression akin to hypochondria. And even Brainerd writes in the beginning of his diary, I think I was from my youth somewhat sober and inclined rather to melancholy than the other extreme. And he writes a lot about his depression in his diary. And he tells of times when he'd ride out to meet with the Native Americans like 16 miles one way, only to be so overcome with darkness that he turned back around as soon as he arrived. And so many great Christians throughout history, even some we've covered on the show like Mary Slessor and Asa Jennings, suffered from a lot of health issues. And Charles Spurgeon, Jonathan Edwards, and David Brainerd all suffered from depression. 
And I find it encouraging that God used people like this that we would write off or who would write themselves off. Brainerd referred to himself as a worm in the first parts of his diary. So take heart if you think God can't use you because he's proven time and again that he can and that he does. Brainerd never wrote about beauty or nature in his diary. This is different to Jonathan Edwards who found reprieve by spending time admiring God's creation. Or even to Spurgeon who did the same. And Spurgeon has a quote on this subject that I really like. He says, To sit long in one posture, poring over a book or driving a quill, is in and of itself a taxing nature. But add to this a badly ventilated chamber, a body which has long been without muscular exercise, and a heart burdened with many cares. And we have all the elements for preparing a seething cauldron of despair, especially in the dim months of fog. Nature outside his window is calling him to health and beckoning him to joy. He who forgets the humming of the bees among the heather, the cooing of the wood pigeons in the forest, the song of the birds in the woods, the rippling of rills among the rushes, and the sighing of the wind among the pines, needs not wonder if his heart forgets to sing and his soul grows heavy. Brainerd spent a great deal of time in prayer. It was what he would rather be doing than anything else. He would spend entire days in prayer, or he would set aside days where he would pray strategically six times a day, and he encouraged others who came to visit him while he was dying to fast and pray often. Writing about how much he loved to pray, he said this, I continued wrestling with God in prayer for my little flock, and more especially for the Indians elsewhere, as well as for dear friends in one place or another. But oh, with what reluctancy did I find myself obliged to consume time and sleep. He loved spending time with God so much that he hated that he had to go to sleep. In 1743, he joined the Scottish Society for Promoting Christian Knowledge as a missionary going to Native Americans. His first two years, he went to two different tribes, and he struggled to learn the language and just had no success. But you can imagine the disappointment. He was expelled from Yale, his whole life changed, he had tuberculosis, and no one was even coming to be saved. This was how he spent his first two years of ministry. And on his third move to a new tribe in New Jersey near Newark, that's where he saw the most success. But right before things turned around for him, he had the opportunity to live his dream. A cushy parish, friends, and everything else. And he turned it down at least two times. There were two different opportunities. And he said this, All my desire was the conversion of the Native American, and all my hope was in God. God does not suffer me to please myself or to comfort myself with hopes of seeing friends, returning to my dear acquaintance, and enjoying worldly comforts. And if he had chosen to abandon his post and leave and go be a minister, who would have ever heard of him? And he hadn't been in New Jersey very long. He'd been preaching all day long, so he decides to go back home and and rest for a little while. But as soon as he got home, they came in one after another with tears in their eyes to know what they should do to be saved. It was an amazing season of power among them, and seemed as if God had bowed the heavens and come down, and that God was about to convert the whole world. He said, I have now baptized in all 47 persons of the Indians, 23 adults and 24 children. Through grace, none of them as of yet has been left to disgrace the profession of Christianity by any scandalous or unbelieving behavior. This is even more important and impressive because Brainerd didn't baptize as soon as someone had made a profession of faith. He waited for a while, so it would be like a weeks or months before someone would would officially be baptized. They would learn the doctrines and make sure they didn't fall away due to heresy. And this had become common practice in some circles, at least since the 3rd and 4th centuries because of the heresies that were proliferating in the church. You didn't want to baptize somebody and then them turn away really quickly to a heresy or just fall away in general. So you wanted to make sure that they knew what they believed and why they believed it, and that they were confirmed in the faith before you baptized them and made a public declaration of their faith. Within a year of his being there, his tuberculosis got so bad that he was in pain constantly. 
He describes that he had a constant chest ache and a constant back ache, and he was always sweating and weak. And as he would travel, there were some trips where he would just cough blood endlessly. And so he tried to rest and get better, but he was soon diagnosed as terminal. So he makes one more trip out to see his converts and encourage them before he goes to Jonathan Edwards' home to die. And even as he was dying, being racked with pain and excruciating anguish from the deterioration of his body, his greatest fear in life was sinning against God and his pain. Jonathan Edwards thought very highly of Brainerd, and he's the reason we know about him today. Edwards lost his own daughter due directly to her taking care of Brainerd in his house. She contracted tuberculosis shortly after Brainerd's death and passed away a few months later at the age of 18. Now what I find so amazing is that he could have still spoken highly of him and even published his diary without letting him into his house. How many of us would let a contagious person into their home? And would anybody blame them if they didn't? But Edwards considered it providence that he was able to care for him. He writes, I would conclude my observations on the merciful circumstances of Mr. Brainerd's death without acknowledging with thankfulness the gracious disposition of providence to me and my family, in so ordering that he should be cast hither to my house, in his last sickness and should die here, so that we have the opportunity for so much acquaintance and conversation with him, and to show him kindness in such circumstances, and to see his dying behavior, to hear his dying speeches, to receive his dying counsels, and to have the benefit of his dying prayers. Seemingly nobody would have made a worse missionary candidate than David Brainerd. He was prone to deep bouts of depression, he had tuberculosis, he was expelled from Yale, and yet nobody's life and legacy had more impact on the modern missionary movement than David Brainerd. In 1769, John Newton wrote, Next to the word of God, I like those books which best give an account of the lives and experiences of his people. No book of this kind has been more welcome to me than the life of Mr. Brainerd of New England. William Carey said that Brainerd's life was almost a second Bible. When he, Ward, and Marshman signed the historic agreement that laid down the principles of their missionary work, they agreed to often look at Brainerd in the woods of America, pouring out his very soul before God for the perishing, without whose salvation nothing could make him happy. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and let others know how you feel. And if you have any recommendations or suggestions about who we should cover in future episodes, feel free to message on Facebook, Twitter, or shoot us an email at revivethoughts at gmail.com. Also, add the life and diary of David Brainerd to your reading list. If it influenced the entire modern missionary movement, who knows what it could do for you? Thanks for listening to Martyrs and Missionaries. I'm Elise. Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at ritual.com podcast.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.